You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Ryan Whittemore, Chief Investment Officer at Florida Funders. And in this episode, we'll talk about the differences between angel groups and VCs and why sometimes the top tier VC might be worse idea than the good angel group. So Ryan, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Florida Funders. Sure. Thanks, Constantine, for having me on. And um, thank you for having Florida Funders on. We're excited. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a chief investment officer for Florida Funders. Um, we're a hybrid between a venture capital fund and we have a 1,500 uh, member accredited investor network that acts as an angel network. Um, so typically our fund invests into a deal and then we have the opportunity to open it up to our angel network and they can invest side by side through an SPV into uh, the same company. And uh, my mm-hmm. background is uh, has been in investment analysis and uh, I'm, I'm actually also an attorney, so I was a general counsel for a private equity group. So cut my teeth doing deals um, for a long time from everything from early stage venture to more turnaround and private equity. Um, but I think the key thing has really been um, across multiple industries. And, and in our business, we see almost 1,500 to 2,000 deals a year. So we have to kind of quickly get up to speed looking at new types of industries, new types of deals, and learn them very quickly um, to decide whether or not they're a fit and give founders kind of an adequate, um, you know, evaluation of what they've been working so hard on. That's really cool. 2,000 deals per year. That's impressive. Good work there. Um, But I want to start with the pretty simple question. As a chief investment officer at uh, Florida Founders, what's your major role? So I oversee our deal process. So, you know, every founder that comes in um, and some of those are organic and some of them we're out trying to find uh, founders either through participating in things like this and podcasts or panelists. Um, we're always trying to meet founders, um, A, to look for new deals and B, to help the community. Um, we're big fans of, you know, working together and collaboratively with the ecosystem. Um, and so my role is to oversee that process from those inbound applications and, and working through the analysis to figure out out of those 1,500 companies, which ones are going to end up being invested. So, you know, we whittle that down through a series of meetings um, and get that down to maybe 20, that'll have 20 to 30, that'll make it to investment committee. And of that, you know, we're going to end up doing 15 to 20 deals a year. So my role is really to oversee that whole process um, from start to finish, making sure they get to investment committee. And then after investment committee, you know, I'm, I'm the one that works on the, um, the documents afterwards to, to negotiate those and then work to closing them. Um, and then we transition them to someone else on my team for kind of post-investment uh, support. Mm-hmm. Got it. And the second question that I really wanted to, to kind of follow up on what you just said is, how do you source the deals? So how do you manage to get you know, up to 2,000 deals per year? Because that's a pretty impressive number. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's obviously changed a little bit with COVID. Um, before this, you know, we attended a lot of in-person conferences. Um, that's obviously changed, but um, we we go to as many virtual things as we can, um, and it's it's participating in the community. So, 
you know, we're really close with the universities in the state of Florida. Um, we're really close with the incubators and accelerators. I think last count I heard was there's 57 of them in Florida. And so we, you know, we constantly are talking with them, seeing nice. what companies are coming out. Um, and then we're on things like um, Florida Venture Forum or the Venture Atlanta, which is the largest venture conference in the Southeast. So, you know, I'm on the selection committee there. So it's a number of those items. And then we were recently um, named by PitchBook and CD Insights as the most active venture capital firm in, in Florida in the Southeast. So, uh, you know, that, that's created a lot of inbound organic deals that we didn't really have to go out and, and mine. That's awesome. Uh, great work, by the way. I've personally never been to Atlanta, unfortunately, but hopefully once the COVID is over, I'll visit one of those conferences of yours. Uh, but anyways, yeah. let's move on and discuss the topic that pretty much any founder should ask first. What do you invest in and what stage do you invest in? Um, can, let me expand on that last question too, all right? Because there's two things that really kind of left out was, um, you know, part of it's our angel network. And I think anybody who's got an angel network and our, our 1500, they source a lot of deals for us. But the best way we get founder, we get deals is from founders themselves. Um, founders tend to typically know like who's the best. A lot of them are going through cohorts and they'll call us and say, hey, you really need to take a look at this company. And so, you know, that means a lot. Um, and it's really important for us to maintain good relationships with our founders and because and, we can count on them for a great deal flow as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. So back to my question, what do you invest in? Um, so we do seed to series A um, in technology, although we are uh, tech within tech, we're, we're agnostic. Uh, we don't do hardware deals, but it's primarily software and kind of our sweet spot is that B2B SaaS software. Um, so, you know, anything from really early stage revenue up to maybe 200,000 a year is going to fall into our seed category. And then we're looking at a post seed to series A, you know, somewhere in that plus 250 to, you know, two, three million in annual recurring revenue um, that we're looking for. Uh, typically valuation somewhere in the five to $15 million pre-money range um, is where our sweet spot is. You know, we're Florida funders. So we do have an emphasis on Florida companies, um, mm -hmm. but we also invest outside of Florida and, and our hopeful goal is to really build an ecosystem here. So a number of companies have relocated with our funds, but a lot of them use that capital to expand into Florida and better the, the overall economy here and the startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Got it. And nice, nice sweet spot, by the way. I love personally B2B SaaS. Uh, but next question that I want to talk about is the major subject of today's interview in general, which is you know, those angel groups versus VCs. So usually the thing that I saw in especially early stage founders is when they think about fundraising, they think about those you know, top tier VCs like Sequoia or Fund of Funds. Uh, Founders fund, by the way, sorry. <laughs> so what do you think is the major difference between those, you know, top tier VCs and angel groups like uh, Florida funders? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, I, I think as a founder, you know, first you have to ask yourself, do you have all those choices, right? If, if you've got Sequoia um, or an Andreessen that wants to invest in you, I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense to engage in those conversations. But not every founder is ready for that, um, and it kind of depends on what's the demand for investment. If, if you only have angels, you take it. You take what you can get. 
um, there, there's kind of a difference in that process. And so I, the funds are going to be, you know, a structured VC is going to be more elaborate in their diligence process. Um, their time horizon and the fiduciary duty they own to LPs is different um, than an angel. So, you know, an angel can sit down with you and have lunch and decide they want to invest. And, you know, it's a, it can be a really easy way to gain investment. You need to understand whether or not they're able to do follow-ons. Uh, if they lead the round, sometimes VCs don't really take seriously the valuation because there's not a lot of thought behind it in some cases. Some, it really depends on the credibility of that angel. Um, an angel network, for example, uh, you know, understanding what's the structure. Do they have to pass the hat? Is it a committed amount? Um, what's their diligence process? Um, but then, you know, there's also um, – the return side of it and a fund has to really mandate a certain return or it doesn't work there's a certain number of deals that are going to obviously go to zero and there's other ones that aren't going to make very much so vcs are typically structured to where most of the entire funds return is banked on a few successful deals and so therefore uh, in general when a, when a vc is looking at a deal they really want to see the possibility or probability of a 10x return plus and so that's kind of the floor that they're mm -hmm. looking at. So, you know, a major difference is that an angel investor, they're just looking for a return. They may still also want that same 10x return, but they're not mandated by sort of a fund structure. That deal is a one-off for them, and whatever the result is, is what it is. It doesn't impact the rest of their, uh, or LPs, so to speak, um, investment returns. Right, that's a very important point, and I think a lot of founders just forget about those, you know, pretty sad stories where funds basically, fund managers basically force the founders to sell just because you know they are personally running out of time because each each fund is like limited to ten years of operations plus like roughly two years of extension. So sometimes founders are literally forced by investors to sell. So uh, keep that in mind while choosing the VC versus the angel group. So what do you think? Another another concern that I've heard is that, you know, uh, if I go with an angel group, I feel like I don't have enough uh, participation from each member. Like each member has decent share, but not big enough to be actively involved. Do you think that's an actual case or not really? I think it. I think it obviously can be, and depends on the angel network. Um, some of them are structured where every member, you know, above a certain threshold, if they vote on it, they all have to participate, right? And other ones, like for ours, we have 1,500 angels in our network. Um, none are required. None of them pay a membership fee, and you might get 20 in one deal and a different 40 in a different deal. Um, and so it, it really depends. I think the big thing really is is the network effect that group are they going to go to bat are they going to open up their contacts are they going to be able to help you when you know as a founder you know you hit those inevitable struggles um or, or you know forks in the road are they going to be there and, and able to help and uh you know that's that's the depth of whatever angel group is if they're just passive um you know that, that's fine but it may not be as helpful uh, as a founder needs mm -hmm. got it and would you, do you think there are certain criteria? So, you know, when a founder is thinking just, you know, in the beginning of this decision-making process of choosing VC versus the angel group, what are the major factors that should be decisive? You know, is it the type of company that's a founder is running or should it be 
the revenue that he or she has or what's basically what are the major factors that they should look at while deciding if they should you know, look deeper into VCs or should look deeper into angel groups? Yeah, great question. I think the first thing is always know your investor, right? Whether it's an angel group or a VC, learn about what they what they invest in, um, what their parameters are, and what's the amount that they seek. Do they lead? Do they follow? That sort of thing. So, um, you know, you're better prepared, and it's generally kind of a you know it's a little bit of a red flag when somebody comes to us and they never looked at our website, never understood what it is we we do and what we look at because a lot of it's out there, um, whether it be a VC or angel group. Um, and also understand the process and the timeline that those different groups take. You know, a lot of the, some of the angel groups, you know, they'll just want to follow on a VC. So it may behoove you to get a VC, a VC interested first, and they can then help you source data or source investors. You know, we, we frequently, you know, we're not going to fill out the entire round, and we'll call some of the, you know, like Miami Angels or um, the South Florida Angel Groups, some some of the different angel groups, and we'll call them and say, hey, we've got you know really interesting deal. Here's our due diligence package. We suggest you guys take a look, and it helps cut down the time frame. So there's a lot of times there's no reason to say you have to go one or the other. You might be going down the path with both. Um, that helps. Yep, that answers my question really well. So thanks for that. And uh, one more thing that I wanted to ask about VCs is angel groups as well. Probably not as applicable to angel group, but still, when a founder is talking to an investor, what are the major qualities that he or she should look in that specific investor? So should there be some you know red flags that you would recommend to search? So maybe it's I don't know the uh, how many. I can't come up with a good red flag for me. Okay, one of the good flags for me, red flags for me would be like how many names does the investor reference? So like, you know, if he or she keeps saying, you know, all those big names and how they know each other. Uh, for me personally, that would be a red flag because most of the time that's not really, it doesn't mean that they're like close friends. But yeah, hopefully you got the point. <laughs> I kind of, didn't do a good job formulating the question, but I hope you got it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would kind of flip it back. I think, you know, from a VC perspective, sometimes the deals that really stand out, you can tell the desperation in a founder. And when a founder comes to us and has multiple options, it's natural that there's a little bit more competitiveness a little bit more intrigue about the deal than when you realize you're the only one they're you're kind of the last resort and everybody else is either passed on it or you're you're solely dependent on their outcome and they're running through cash and they don't really have any other choices left um you know so so but to, to answer your question a little bit better it's always good to talk to a founders like what other deals have you done? Talk to them and get to understand their process. Make sure it fits within your time frame, um, what they're looking for, both in the short run and as well as long run. Um, and then, you know, obviously you can ask for references. Uh, you know, we've had several times where we've been working on a, a deal and they wanted to speak with a couple of our other portfolio companies, and we'll give them a, a list. Hey, here's a bunch of portfolio mm -hmm. companies. I think you have to. Sometimes take it with a grain of salt if you just go to the community 
um, and, and try to get a feel for the community because the reality of a VC and even with the angel groups um, is a lot of those deals, you know, we do one out of every hundred deals. It's just kind of the nature of the business. Um, and so, you know, the odds are out of those hundred people, there are 99 of them we have to turn away. Um, there's probably nine to 10 really good deals in there that we, we unfortunately have to turn away. Um, there's probably another 10 to 20 that are pretty decent, but there's some flaw and maybe we just want to revisit it. And then there's another 70 that just aren't a fit. Um, but it's inevitable that there's going to be some number in there that, you know, they are not happy with your decision. They think you're an idiot for missing it. Um, they, they, you know, <laughs> they don't think you know what you're doing. Uh, they thought maybe, maybe they go further in the diligence process, but a quick no sometimes is a lot better than making it further through the process and then getting a no. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but you have to undercover everything, peel back all the layers or you can understand it enough to move forward with investment. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes whether you get a good or bad review, I think the best thing you can get is somebody who went through a process, didn't get an investment and still says something good about that VC or angel group, mm -hmm. I think then you really are going to know whether or not that's a good group. You know, you're not getting biased by somebody who they don't want to getting back because to their investor that they said something bad. Um, and you're not getting biased from somebody who got you know turned away and is bitter about it. Right. But quick question here. How do you find those people that the EVC passed on or the angel group passed on? Should you just, you know, go through the community and just, you know, sharing the message, hey, like, hey, I want to get funding by uh, you know, Florida funders. Is there someone here who applied to them but didn't get funding? Or is there a better option to find those people who didn't? Yeah, um, I, I think that's a great question. I mean, part of it's just networking um, and part of it's, you know, call up the, a local incubator, call up an accelerator. It's probably inevitable that a VC has done deals within their geographic market, right? And somebody's going to know them. Maybe if, uh, you know, you can look up and, and see if, if they have any listed LPs, you know, and you know one of them. Um, if you know one of the other founders, I, I have never heard any founder who would turn away another founder who had a reference uh, check on somebody you know it's, it's not hard to go on a vc's website and say okay they're in these 30 portfolio companies reach out to somebody on linkedin mm -hmm. that's you know founder of that portfolio company and just say hey you know i'm going through the process wanted to pick your brain on that i, I think most people are willing to help most definitely founders are really responsive if you reach out to them in that manner i mean i've seen personally multiple of those cases so definitely do that perfect advice here and here let's move on to the topic that i really love to discuss which is the mistakes of the founders so in your personal experience what are the major mistakes that founders make while fundraising or while reaching out to you personally or to florida found founders in general Sure. I, I think number one for me always is being prepared. If a founder is not prepared, it's just really evident. And I think the, you know, the most obvious is when somebody shares a deck. And so, you know, we're doing this in uh, September of 2020. If I see a deck that hasn't been updated since 2019 or it's showing like the January actuals and then everything else is mm -hmm. in it, it's a big red flag. It's, Especially when you get into a period like this year where there's been a monumental event like COVID and there's nothing addressing that. Um, 
that's probably the first and foremost red flag. Because if they're not willing to update their deck when you get your shot in front of an investor, it just tells me they're they're not tight on how they're running their business. Um, you know, one of our managing partners always says, like, you know, he tells founders, you think raising capital is a full-time job? It is. You think running your business is a full-time job? It is. You have to learn to be able to do both. Um, a lot of times if you're a co-founder, you know, sometimes one co-founder has to work solely on the fundraising and the other one's running the business. But unfortunately, it is a, a full-time job. And, you know, I think when founders come in with that understanding and understanding of someone's process, it generally goes a lot smoother than when they come in, you know, with all the signs of desperation and maybe not being prepared and trying to set a timeline and say, well, you know, we're presenting, but we need to close this round by next week. If you're talking to a VC or even an angel network, it's highly unlikely they're even going to want to move forward any further because mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to sit there on due diligence. If you're talking to an angel, uh, an individual angel, it might work. Um, and they may be able to move much quicker. But, you know, from my perspective as CIO, I have to do the proper due diligence or it creates a huge liability on me. I, I don't want to find out later there was an easy stone we could have uncovered and an investor asked me a question about it and, and I didn't do it because I was trying to rush and avoid some FOMO effect. The FOMO effect is, is you know, it, it doesn't work very well when you use that tactic. More Absolutely. Really. Mm-hmm. Right, really good point here. I think Russian investors, you know, some founders have this have some idea like if I'm going to create a sense of urgency that will work. In my experience, like it never works. Uh, I've only seen like a couple of cases. I've only read about a couple of cases when that works. So kind of think about it twice before you do this. But yeah, very good point. Definitely do your homework, you know, research the investor and give them some time to do the, you know, the the bureaucratic, I guess, it's not even bureaucracy, honestly. It's just something you have to do as a VC or as an investor in general. Uh, but anyways, let's move on and talk about the um, your advice to people right now specifically. So as you mentioned, you know, there was COVID. And what's your advice to founders who are trying to get over those times or actually founders who are just trying to start their companies now during these times you know, when the COVID is still not completely over? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity that's being created right now. Um, if you're an existing founder, and I think what is it, the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again and, and getting the same <laughs> results. Um, you know, if it's not working and your industry has changed, it's time to, you know, look at a pivot. I've been there as a founder in a high-pressure situation like that in 2008. And everything changed after the 2008 recession. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made personally was being too proud or thinking I'm the only one that knew the answers and I didn't seek enough advice um, to clear my head because I was frankly just too close to the issue. And Mm -hmm. it was pretty easy to see with retrospect. Um, But when you're in the middle of that storm, it's really hard to see. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm giving that advice to a founder, I would say go go consult some people, whether it's a VC, um, but probably more importantly, talk to some strategic advisors. Uh, a lot of times we, we advise our companies early on to get a board together. And, you know, I know that's a little bit out of the norm, um, but the reasoning is 
is one, you've got a sounding board for when you've got issues and you can communicate it and they can help kind of nav help you navigate through some of those issues. And, and so, you know, two, they're going to be there and help you prepare for the future if you, you get more organized. But um, having people to go to is just such a such a benefit. And don't ever be afraid to communicate with your investor, whether that's a VC or an angel group. Um, you know, A, they can help, but B, they gain more confidence from you. And, and I don't mean just share the good news, mm -hmm. share the bad news, share where your struggles are, because they may be able to help. It may be as simple as a, con uh, a contact, or it may be like, hey, here's another way to approach it. And, um, you know, the founders that communicate with us the most, I would say hands down, are also largely the most successful in the portfolio. The ones that go silent, and then they come back when they only want money. Um, it's a big red flag, and we don't know what's happening in the company, and they've got to kind of get us up to speed. They've generally kind of run out of time, and so it's kind of this fire drill, and it makes it far less attractive to, you know, support the company. Some of them are going to fail, and you have to let those go um, as a portfolio manager of a fund, and it's a difficult decision, but it's the reality of that business. There's only so much pro rata you can go around. So. Those companies that understand that and plan ahead and constantly communicate with their investors and aren't afraid to say, hey, I'm struggling here. We're going to pivot here. Um, you know, there's no, no shame in that. Very good point. You know, keep your investors updated. That's super important, being super transparent in pretty much any aspect about your business. But um, here I wanted to talk a little bit more about the communication part. So a lot of angel groups, what they do is when they receive an application, they will get back to the founder in any case and actually specifically say why they did not accept him or her in the proper more, you know, why they didn't even consider uh, you know, to review the company. Do you do the same thing uh, at Florida Funders and do you actually recommend any founders to do that? So like, you know, even if I know that my revenue is, only 5,000 uh, per month, and I know that's too low for you guys. Should I still apply just to hear that feedback or is it not not really nice? Yeah, I would say that, um, you, you know, the, the best thing is that a founder understands what a VC is going through. I think a lot of opinions are formed when you get a rejection and, you know, it's, uh, they don't understand or they didn't really look at it or whatever else. and especially depending on how that response is given back, you know, and how you're passing. We have found we, you know, personally at Florida funders, we try to give more feedback. Um, even if sometimes it's critical, it doesn't help to sugarcoat it for a founder because they may be only one, one small correction away from fixing it and going to another VC and being successful it may just not be a fit for our portfolio. There's a lot of different reasons and it doesn't have to necessarily be that we don't like the company or the deal. It just maybe we already have a competitor in that space, we're already over allocated in that area. Uh, the timing's just not right. There could be a lot of things. Um, but if a founder ever asks me, like, hey, can you give me a little bit more feedback or explain something? I'm I'm happy to. The the difficulty lies, and um, you know, I I would imagine you know my day to day is probably similar to most VCs, where you know, we've got 1,500 applications coming in a year, and then we're diving deep into a lot of those, and there's ongoing negotiations and portfolio discussions and, and then panelists and th all sorts of things were busy throughout the day. And just responding back to the number of inbound emails in a 
a manner that's fair is very difficult to do. Um, and so a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, we're, we're really trying to give a brief answer, but as constructive as possible. But, you know, in my experience, if somebody asks me, I'm happy to set aside time um, and explain it further. Perfect. And, and Perfect response. Yeah, the further you go into somebody's process, too, the probably and hopefully the more personal that response is. You know, if you just applied and, you know, you're you're applying to a company that only invests in SaaS B2B mm-hmm. and you're presenting a, a hardware for a biotech device, like, you should understand and not require them to respond back to you. You know, right. a bunch of times that's why they're rejecting. But you made it through their process. Generally, like, I think most VCs are more than willing to help you with feedback. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing about VCs. They love giving feedback. <laughs> so here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. What's the one thing you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? So one good call to action. Um, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I think that VCs and angel groups could really do a better job of that communication. Um, and there needs to be more communication between founders and VCs and fund settings where you get to know them and, and ask the questions and understand the process. And, you know, understand, I think everybody's trying to help each other. It's, there's just a volume game that makes it really hard to, to basically like both invest in everybody but also support them. And it's to your last question, you know, like how do you respond back? If I only had a few deals, I'd love to spend all day with founders and, and help work with them on the business. It's just not the reality. And um, you know, I think the less people take, take this personally in a business full of rejection and you take it more as, as motivation or helpful advice, um, more successful founders are going to be. Yeah. Great call to action. Uh, my call to action is, as you know, you know, as usually, go to the description of this episode. I'll definitely leave a link to Florida funders. So if you're a B2B SaaS, you definitely should apply. Even probably if you're too early, I'll take the risk of saying that. So just if you're in that field, definitely apply. You know, you'll at least hear some feedback. And I'll also leave a link uh, to the application process of Fundraising Radio, where I connect founders to the previous uh, speakers of Fundraising Radio, which are successful founders and actively investing investors. So if you're looking for funding or mentorship, definitely fill out the application below and chances are you'll get connected to someone really interesting. So do that and have a good day.